being down here this morning because I'm scared of heights. <laughs> uh, true fact. We, uh, again, obvious uh, things are going on here starting tomorrow and uh, we have obviously have an African theme. You've seen elephants and lions and so forth. And um, it, this has traditionally been, uh, churches have different outreach events that have been significant for them and worked for them in their community and Vacation Bible School has always been one of our greatest outreach tools, uh, not just to children, who of course is directed at, but also to families because uh, families chase things and do things that that are important to their children that their children like nowadays. And uh, so, so it's a big deal, uh, we hope, for our whole community. Uh, Jesus famously said, let the children come to me and, and then do not hinder them or, or said don't get in their way as they do that. So we want to help them uh, come to Jesus through Vacation Bible School. Um, I have seven weeks, Lord's Days, left in my interim ministry uh, before Jim Freck comes as our new senior minister. And I think all of us are really looking forward to that. Uh, he's going to be a good one, he and his family. And uh, so seven Lord's Days left. Five Sundays of that I'll preach. Two I won't be. Uh, Don Smith is going to preach next Lord's Day and kind of update us on, on uh, campus ministry out here, campus Christians, and uh, the new campus minister there. Uh, we will be gone at the end of this week and, and more than likely over the weekend uh, doing some family uh, business. And then the next Lord's Day I'll be here, but Luke Witte... Uh, will be preaching, and Luke is the, uh, the uh, minister, lives in North Carolina, who's been conducting our, our basketball camp for young people for about 20 years now, and uh, he'll be bringing the message on the 16th, as he does each summer when he's here, uh, Father's Day. Uh, so anyway, in my five weeks left, I want to preach through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a short one. Uh, there are five chapters, and I'll be looking at a chapter each week, and I would love to encourage you to read that uh, while we do this. So you have about seven weeks to read through just five chapters. Uh, the first one, I'll give you a jump start on that. Uh, after we're done this morning, you will have read one chapter of it. So you only have four to go, so if you would join me on that, you'll not only... Uh, know where we're going and, and more about what we're talking about, but uh, maybe it's a start toward a regular systematic reading through the Word of God, hopefully. First Thessalonians, the book, and then chapter 1. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had uh, founded the church at Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Uh, right before that, you may be familiar with this account from the book of Acts, uh, Paul had been miraculously released from prison by, by God, of course, by an angel uh, in Philippi, and then they had gotten on the great Roman highway and uh, gone down to the city of Thessalonica, a major city there, and, and uh, he was greatly opposed both before and during, and then after they helped start a church there, got some believers together and, and baptized them. And the church there in Thessalonica began amidst, again, great opposition, particularly early on to Paul and 
to his traveling companions. You'll see them mentioned in just a moment. And uh, then that opposition continued, and they were really harassed, uh, particularly by the Jewish leaders who, who uh, were threatened by that. And uh, so much so that Paul and his companions, or the ones who helped found the church, they left there and they fled to the city of Athens. Now, as you can imagine, if you had to leave family or, or a new group of friends or so forth, and, and of course they didn't have the internet and all that quick means of communication and so forth, cell phones and that, as we would be under those circumstances, even though he was away from them now, he was deeply concerned, deeply concerned about these new Christians because even though Paul was gone, then this persecution turned from Paul and his traveling companions to the new Christians. And so he was very concerned about that particularly. These believers are pretty new, and they haven't faced opposition and, and suffering because of their faith. I wonder how they'll do. I wonder if their faith will survive this. I wonder if their newfound relationship in Jesus Christ will make it. So it, it, it was a difficult time to send him, but Paul sent Timothy to check on them. And Timothy came back with a report about the Christians at Thessalonica, and the report was good. Paul learned that they were doing well, and this letter, the first letter to the Thessalonian Christians, and there too, the first letter uh, to them was written to say, hey, thank you, I'm excited that you're doing well. That even though this opposition and, and all of this persecution is going on, that you guys are staying strong. And then he gives them some encouragement and even some warning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is on page 1040. Probably not very many of you is that applicable to. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And here, here's this first paragraph, verses 2 and 3, is his gratitude to them. The report is heard. We always thank God for all of you. We mention you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk first of all about their motives for not only coming to Jesus Christ, but staying committed to Jesus Christ despite everything that's going on around them, particularly that persecution. I think their motives for being able to do that are also our motives to be able to do that. Now, what's going on outside, what's, what's working against us, what's confronting us, and all of that may be totally different. But the way that we stand our ground and keep our faith is the same. Now, he mentions three things there. He said, first of all, your work 
produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Now, if we have faith in God, they had faith in God, even if it wasn't real deeply rooted yet, even if it hadn't been a long time yet, then they will produce fruit in keeping with that faith. If they have faith, then they'll follow that up by serving God, by serving Christ. Faith prompts and it produces work and service. James, Jesus' earthly brother, said it this way, very simply, very direct, faith without works is dead. It can't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Faith without works is dead. So he commends their work for God that was produced by their faith in God. Now the second thing he commends is their labor, kind of the same word there, their labor and work, but it's also prompted by love. It's prompted by love. If we have faith in God, means we love God, not just simple belief. It's faith, it's love for God. That also prompts us to love each other in the body. And other people that aren't yet in the body love others. Many, many churches. You can't look very far, but what a church will have this as their, their purpose statement and their faith statement or whatever they call it, many different names for it. Love God, love others. Okay, That's, this is one of the places that comes from, your labor prompted by love. You love God, you will naturally love others, both those who are in the body and those that are not yet. Your love for God, your love for people, will prompt you to help them, to serve them, to reach them. And the third motive is their endurance that's inspired by hope. And that's, of course, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand that most of these people, well, at least many of them, don't remember Jesus. It's been about 20 years since he died and then rose and went to heaven. That happened in about 30 A.D. It's now the middle of about 50 A.D., or 20 years since Jesus left. So you've got a whole generation of people alive now, then, alive in the first century, that never saw Jesus. They didn't hear things about Jesus firsthand, necessarily. So they don't have as close a connection time-wise with Jesus. Maybe didn't see him, but they know about him, and they're still inspired by their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They endure. They keep going. That's what that word means. It means to keep going, to keep doing something over and over and over, even if it gets difficult. You know, one of the biggest surprises for me, I know I use a lot of illustrations about critters, but that consumes a lot of my time. So that's what I know. Now, Jesus did that. He looked around and he saw people that were fishing and, and, and farming and different things and used his illustrations that way. When we first got into the cattle business with two, 
it was a nice time of year. It was fall. It was beautiful. There was green grass and all that kind of thing. And it looked really simple. Even, I mean, you just turn them loose and they went out and, and they ate grass and they went and they drank out of the pond. And I thought, this is great. It, it, if that's all there is to it, I can do this. We can even have more of these. They, they, it's like they take care of themselves. And, and uh, then it starts getting cold. And the grass stops growing. And maybe the water freezes. And it's a whole different ballgame. A whole different ballgame. First of all, is that water thing. They have to have water every day. Do you have any idea how much a cow drinks a day? Somewhere between 10 and 20 gallons. I try to do one or two glasses. 10 and 20 gallons of water a day, and they have to have that. Well, when everything's nice, there's been adequate amount of rain, there's water in the pond and all that, everything's good. But when it freezes, it's not as good. When we had our first two cows, you know how we watered them? We went from house to where the cows are, it's probably 50 yards. We did it by carrying five-gallon buckets. Now, two cows can drink, therefore, 20 to 40 gallons of water a day. That's a lot of five-gallon buckets. Marla got really tired. <laughs> no, just kidding, I did most of that. Okay? Then we got smart, and we ran along hose to them. Okay? But things happen with hoses. They freeze up, and if you don't disconnect the hose... And we did this many, 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 many a time until we learned our lesson. If you don't disconnect the hose and completely drain it, then it freezes up and it's no good and you've got to take it inside somewhere in the barn or in the bathtub and run hot water or whatever and drain the hose before the cows get a drink. But you have to do it every day. They have to drink every day. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard, they have to do it every single day. You have to have endurance. And then there's the eating part. The grass doesn't grow in the winter. It kind of stops. And what's left, they can eat real fast. And you have to give them hay every day. And you try to give them grain every day. And the winters haven't been that bad, but they've been wet and they've been a mess. And you slosh through the mud every day to feed them. And I have three pair of rubber boots, and every single one of them leaks. <laughs> My wife finally said, and we're just, I mean, I'm not proud of this, but it's just the way it is. We're both just tighter and all get out. And, and I'm thinking, you know, if it ever stops raining and it's not deep, I just, uh, these boots are fine. I'll just keep wearing them. But we just finally got tired of it. She said, why don't you go buy a new pair of boots? We looked all over Pittsburgh, and there were size sixes and sevens. Well, that wasn't going to get it. So, so we couldn't find a pair of rubber boots anywhere. So you go out every day, every day, every day, and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, no matter what the circumstances, and that's endurance. Now, that's an illustration just so I understood what it takes to keep cows. They're dealing with being new believers and people persecuting them 
because they believe in Jesus Christ and that he came once and that he's coming back again. And they have to go through that every single day, day after day after day, no matter how difficult it gets. And Paul said, you're doing really great. Part of the reason, oh, this occurred to me. Did you see the three things, their motives? A little bit out of order. I didn't flip to one. But faith, hope, and love. Where we heard that before. Were you like me and, and somebody read 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There it is again. Now, they were able to do this. They were able to, to love and, and, and to have faith and to persevere because they had really good models. And, and probably in this context, maybe nowadays, we would kind of more use the word role, words role models. He's talking about people that you emulate, that you kind of follow their example. Now, you may have some of those in your lives, even in different areas, not just a, a general person that you want to be like. Maybe it's some kind of interest you have or somebody that was a role model at work or, or to you growing up or a role model in the faith, whatever. But we have a number of these in our lives. Lots of times they're, they're relatives that we're close to, parents, maybe a grandparent, but not necessarily always. Paul says three things about their models. The first and greatest <coughs> excuse me, role model we have in our life is, of course, the Lord himself. That's ultimately who we're striving to be like. We want to be like Jesus. The closer we get to being like Jesus, the closer we get to heaven, to God, godliness and Christ-likeness. In his steps, asked long ago, what would Jesus do? Not just thinking, it's also doing. Sometimes, though, it's not really easy to follow someone you can't see. Kids sometimes say, I, I need somebody with skin on. So what Paul did, and he even encouraged them to do, was to follow him and other Christian leaders, his traveling companions in that case, as they followed Christ. You see, they could see Paul, and he spent time with and among them. And as Paul imitated Christ, as new believers, they could look at Paul and imitate him as he imitated Christ. Paul even said that. So they imitated Paul and his companions. They were their models as they imitated Christ, and that helped them to do that. 
Now, that's a scary order. It is for me to think about other people imitating me, particularly in the faith. But, you know, lots of times without thinking about that, we do that every day. We do that with our children. In, in many, 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 many ways, we want them to imitate us and do like we do. There may be some things we don't want them to do that we do. But they imitate us. We, we by and large, want that. So we can understand when Paul commends them and says, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you because you imitate Christ and you even imitate us in order to imitate Christ. And especially, remember their situation? Especially they imitate Paul and his traveling companions because again, right in front of them, right in their midst before they were forced to flee, Paul and his traveling companions are being persecuted. And these people, these new Christians, can see how they handle that. And then that persecution is going to turn on them. And it'll be their turn to have to deal with that. Well then, in this idea of modeling, having models, having a role model. Paul points out, he says in verses 6 and 7, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then look at the change here. Remember, they, they have as their role model Jesus, but they may be doing it imitating Paul first in order to imitate Jesus, but then look at what happens. And so you then became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So they needed models, role models. And then to other Christians and even people that weren't yet. They became the role models. Now, as a, as a body, as, as a church, we do want to model Christianity. We want to be a model for Christ. We want to be known for that. We want to be known, for instance, this week, for caring about children. Not just in some kind of vague way, but in a specific way that wants children to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and go to be with Him. It would be good for a church to be known for giving to missions. 
It would be good for this church, and they already are, to be known for trying to help addicts. Not just, not just for trying to find a cure for their addictions, but for trying to find Christ. He closes by talking about the message. Verse 8. Remember, he's thanked them. He's saying, um, your motives are fantastic. You're doing great. You have these models in your life. And because of all that, the Lord's message. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Can you believe that about a, a small struggling group of believers whose, whose, whose faith and, and church was born out of persecution? And yet their faith has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols, from dead gods, from no gods, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. Remember some of these people. Average lifespan there was upper 30s, so... Uh, about half of these people didn't even know Jesus, but they're waiting for Jesus to wait for his son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. I don't know if they would have been big on those last words. becomes a little more apparent, it seems like, for us all the time, just a little bit. Wow, what a, what a beginning Paul makes to the believers there about their um, newfound faith and having sent Timothy back to check on them and finding out um, they're not only surviving in their faith, but they're thriving. And they're staying strong. And, and their reputation has gone out to Christians all over about how well they're doing. We're going to go into our time of decision now. And uh, we use this as an opportunity every Lord's Day to think about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're like me and most everybody here. Yours began many, many years ago, maybe even as a child. In, in mid-vacation Bible school age, I was eight. Maybe a lot of you were that. That's smack right in the middle of vacation Bible school age, a prime time for people to be thinking about starting a relationship with God. So maybe for you, you did that, and that's been a long time ago. And yet all the time we think about that. God, what do you want me to do? Pray for opportunities for... God to use you in his work. Maybe you've never made that decision. Now would be a great time. Let's stand and sing together.
Remember, we're going to dismiss and then in a few minutes uh, begin right in here a prayer service for Vacation Bible School. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for receiving our worship. And uh, Father, we uh, don't just want to be people who say that. We want to be people who do that, who, who have faith in you and obey you and serve you. Give us opportunity to do that this week and help us to recognize that and have the courage to do that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.